Hey there. Welcome to episode 25 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the MBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Thomas Jenkins, who writes for Peachtree Hoops. We talk about the Hawks' current three-game losing streak, especially the loss to the Warriors in which Dennis Schroeder was benched for the final 20 minutes of the game after losing track of Steph Curry in a dead ball situation. We also talk about the acquisitions of Ursan Ilyasova and Jose Calderon and how those moves may affect the Hawks going forward. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group. Rates, integrity, service. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. are here with Thomas Jenkins of Peachtree Hoops, and uh, it's been an interesting week in Hawk Circle, so we're going to take an episode of ATL and 29 and focus more or less purely on the Hawks this week. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show, and I'm happy to have an opportunity to be on here as well. Thank you. Uh, per usual, I'd like to start you with the, the three quick questions. And so for your first question, I would ask you uh, if you could literally trade shoes with any NBA player, uh, which player would you trade shoes with? This may be a bit of an odd answer, but I think I'd go with James Harden. And most of that is just because I have uh, a kind of an irrational love for Adidas shoes, I guess. They're my favorite brand. So when I need new shoes for whatever reason that's normally the first brand i look at i know he's had some of the, some interesting shoes in the past particularly over the summer but i've really been a fan of the more recent models and i think those would be some fun shoes to wear around all right very good adidas it is who was wearing the 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 two hawks rookies were wearing uh they were wearing some very old shoes this week i want to say it was prince was wearing tracy mcgrady's shoe with the blue yeah, that, that sounds right. I'm not what, sure. What brand is yeah. that? Is that a... Oh, man. I don't know. That's I'm right. not as up-to-date on my shoes as I should be. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Malcolm Delaney was... He was wearing, I think, KG shoe. But it's mm-hmm. funny. Last night, they wore the blue uniforms again. The uniforms that they still have not won in. Right, yeah. <laughs> but it, almost all of the players, except for Tabo, Tabo being the fashion plate, all of the players had switched back to their red and black and volt shoes as opposed to the blue <laughs> ones. I guess they decided that they were, you know, they weren't doing well in their new shoes, so they should wear something a little more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you got to break the curse somehow if it's gotten <laughs> to that level, I guess. <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <of laughs> All <course>. right. <laughs> for for your second quick question, uh, let's see here. Uh, what is your version of Waiters Island? You know, who, which player uh, do you have an irrational belief in far beyond what could reasonably be expected? <laughs> uh, this answer is also probably going to be a little bit odd. I would definitely say that at least until recently, it's been Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, I know that he has been playing very well recently, especially since the calendar year 2017 started. But I think before this season, and especially right at the beginning, there were a lot of questions about what his value to the team were, was at that point. 
And obviously he's proved that he does have real value, especially off the bench. But I think I still had a little more hope than most people that he would turn into a valuable role player, a valuable rotation piece off the bench. And now that doesn't really work as well to say that since it's become pretty obvious that he is a valuable player. But I think up until the beginning of the season, that would have been my version at least. All right. Wow. You uh, it's starting to pay off for you then. It's going to pay off <laughs> no for kidding. him soon, too. That he definitely is, is going to pay off for him. He is going to get uh, a, an interesting contract this summer. All right, third quick question. I know, um, that is, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> uh, what, who is a player in which you have an irrational like or dislike, and, and what's your reason for that like or dislike? I would have to go with Carmelo Anthony for this one. And the main one is that it seems like whenever he's playing the Hawks, he just has a much better game than normal. And he's obviously <laughs> a really great player. So this is pretty much irrational in that it seems like whenever he's playing the Hawks, he goes beyond even his normal levels. I know the games they played this year, he looked pretty good. And I think that stretches back to last year as well. And it may just be recency bias, but that's where I fall on that question right now. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, before we get into the Hawks stuff, I'd also like to take you through our 100 to 200 segment. The idea here being that I'm going to solicit from you a relatively scorchy opinion, and we'll rate it on a scale from 100 degrees Fahrenheit to 200 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on just how hot we think it is. So I'd ask you to, uh, to give us your, your take here and explain why you think it's so. All right. Well, my take is that I think the MVP race is more than just two people right now. I think the common perception around the league is that the MVP is going to either be James Harden or Russell Westbrook. And while I think those are two very deserving candidates, I think the field should be open a little more. I would probably stretch it to three or four. And I think I would include Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James in that conversation. I don't know where I would rank all of them, but I would say that the MVP race should be more than just Harden and Westbrook as good as they've been. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I, as important as Westbrook is to the Thunder, I'm not sure I would have him in my top two. And mm-hmm. like you say, you know, you bring Kawhi and LeBron into the discussion. And a few weeks ago, I would have put Kevin Durant in it too. Because I think right, he was absolutely. doing some things for the Warriors defensively that, that went above and beyond what you would expect in even a normal Kevin Durant season. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say that that's not predictable particularly scorchy i would right, probably yeah. put that somewhere like a 128 how would you have scored mm-hmm. it i would say between 130 and 140 so probably 135 which i guess is okay. pretty close to where you had it it's yeah. definitely not like scorching but i do think i differ at least from a lot of the mainstream uh attention given to westbrook and harden all right very good all right time to get into all things hawks it's it's been an interesting week. They're in a six-game homestand. They started mm-hmm. with a win over Dallas, and since that time, they've had three consecutive losses to the Cavaliers, to the Pacers, and to the Golden State Warriors. And that's where things really got interesting because Dennis Schroeder had 19 points in the first quarter against the Warriors, he was, it seemed like in the first half, he was outplaying Steph Curry. I don't think that's too much of a stretch to, to, to put together. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of fell apart. In the third quarter, there was a pass where uh, 
Dwight got a rebound, tried to kick an outlet pass to Schroeder, went out of bounds, and all of a sudden the Warriors were inbounding the ball in the front court. And while they were getting set for the inbounds, uh, Howard and Schroeder were kind of gesturing at each other with their hands, trying to indicate what was supposed to happen on the play and who should have done what. And while they did that, Curry slipped free of Schroeder and got off a wide-open three-pointer. And a minute later, Bud called timeout, and Schroeder was not seen for the rest of the game. And here's what Schroeder had to say afterward. Steph Curry, uh, me and uh, Dwight was arguing, probably was part of it, and uh, that can happen, but um, I don't understand coach's decision. So you do or you don't? I said, I'm, I don't. I don't, okay. I want to be, you know, on the court. Maybe I'm too competitive, I don't know. Um, just try to be competitive, try to win games, but I don't get that do you feel like part of the reason maybe you lost tonight was you weren't out there? No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, you never know what happened when, if I would have been out there, you know. Um, I mean, it felt great. I think everybody was on the same page. We did a great job in the first half. And, um, I'm looking forward to, you know, playoffs about to start. But, um, I mean, we got to figure it out, me and Coach. What, um, I mean, do you think that's something you guys will sit down and talk about? Mm, I want to talk about it. Um, Right, got to be in there too, you know, get on the same page, and um, then we're going to be all right. Do you think so? It was just that one defensive round? <laughs> I don't okay. know what else. <laughs> what was working for you earlier? Did you have to get 19 first quarter points, 23 first half? I was just aggressive, you know, um, get on my shot a little bit earlier, uh, try to lift, you know, legs, try to be uh, just, uh, you know, in the game, try to be focused. And, uh, what, uh, what was the what was the what was the argument again about with you and Dwight when y'all got into a little bit of down the court? No, it was just because of the pass he threw before, but um, and we got to do it in a timeout, timeout or something, um, or a dead ball. But um, I mean, they got a three right up, you know, out of it. And we got to do better. Okay, Thomas, let's start with Schroeder. Uh, what did you make of the game that he had going yesterday? It was a pretty impressive performance, like you said. Like, if you just look at the box score, too, and see some of the statistics he put up, like he was shooting really well, uh, was able to get other people involved, too. I think he was four of seven on three-pointers just from glancing at it again this morning. But he definitely was playing very well. Uh, I think he was definitely an important part of why the Hawks were able to have a lead after the first quarter and even after the first half. So it does seem a little weird that he would get benched after this. And I have to say, I'm a little confused just from the outside looking in, obviously I could, I wasn't at the game. I had to watch it on TV, but it's, it was a little confusing to me. I don't, I don't know if you maybe felt the same way about that or how other people reacted to it, but I was at least a little confused. Yeah. I mean, I guess sort of, you know, to put it to an analogous situation, I think we've seen a, a few times this season where, you know, Torian Prince has played, and, you know, Torian Prince, you watch him play, and it's like, wow, he can rebound, he can dribble, he can get the ball to the rim, he can shoot three-pointers, and he's a big, big wing defender that has so much potential in that area. And when they've played him this season, you know, he's looked really good, except 
There have been some times where he gets into the game, a minute into the game, he does something that Budenholzer doesn't like, and it's an instant timeout. In fact, that actually happened during the Warriors game. <laughs> Iguodala <laughs> was his cover when he came in, and about a minute after he came in, Iguodala slipped out in transition and got a dunk. And Bud called timeout, and I'm thinking to myself, ooh, I guess this is going to be one of those games where Prince disappears after a minute because mm-hmm. you know he did something that was not fondly looked at. And so when this happened to Schroeder, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he's got the timeout. He's on the bench. Uh, you know, he Bud wasn't happy with that decision, and maybe he's going to miss a few extra minutes because of it. Because he kind of went out, you know, like three minutes into the second half. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, you know, instead of coming out with four minutes left in the third quarter, he went out with nine minutes left in the third quarter. So he's going to get dinged on the playing time a little right. bit that way. And then just – it just kept going and going and going, and he just did not come back in. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was I was surprised. So, you know, how much of the mistake, how much worse is it that it happened during a dead ball? Because it's not like the Hawks routinely play basketball where there are no mental slip-ups. Right. But this was one that happened on a dead ball as opposed to in live action. Does that make it worse? I think it does. And also, this is a play that I've seen circulating around Twitter just from a lot of people who cover the NBA in general. So I think that kind of gives an example of what other people thought of it. Like, I think it definitely did not look good for the Hawks. And it's almost become like one of those famous plays that gets thrown around Twitter, around the Internet as an example of pretty bad basketball. And I to answer your question, though, I do think that it's <laughs> wait, wait, ball. I got I have to interject. Yeah. Is it better or worse than J.R. Smith going to uh, high five Jason Terry on the bench? Uh, it's definitely better than that. I, I think That's very cool. few things can compare to Smith's play on that. <laughs> but Sorry, yeah, to answer your I, question, I, I do rhythm. think it does make it worse. Okay. So is it okay? So if, even if it's worse, is it something that you think should result in him just, you know, sitting the final twenty minutes of 20, 20, 21 minutes of the game when he was the maybe the most impressive player against the best team in the league in the first half? That's a tough question. I think <laughs> just from my perspective, I would say probably not. I mean, any ch- any time you have a chance to beat the Warriors, even if they're playing without Duran and even if they are on the road in that game, I think that's something you want to capitalize on. I think that would have been a really nice win for the Hawks if they had been able to pull it off. And I think I personally would have left Schroeder in the game. I don't want to second-guess the coaching staff, but I will say that it's not a decision that I think I would have made in that situation. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel you. I mean, I could see, like, taking him out, letting him sit and think about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, and we'll get to this later, but you kind of wonder a little bit, you know, how does that affect his teammates who are out there you know, doing everything they can to to win, and then all of a sudden, the player who they're playing through isn't there, and it kind of changes the whole dynamic of the game. You know, do they want him out there? Do they not want him out there? It's just really awkward, right? Especially when they have to go to some of these no point guard lineups. I think that really cripples what the Hawks are able to do offensively. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm sort of of the opinion that that. I think I'm a little bit sympathetic to Dennis just because I think he was playing with an edge. So he's playing with emotion. He's, he's for lack of a better phrase, keyed up, you know, he's just, 
he's playing on the edge of rationality, if you will, right? <laughs> you know, you you kind of mm-hmm. just dashing around, being kind of crazy, but trying your best to be sort of the controlled crazy uh, to play with that much energy, uh, especially on the defensive end, chasing Curry around everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm sympathetic to him, you know, kind of losing the edge of emotion there on the wrong side for a second with Dwight. But at the same time, how much do you think the things that have happened over the past couple of weeks factor in? Because, you know, there's all the stuff that we don't necessarily know about. And what we do know is that, you know, he was suspended by the team for a game without pay uh, for not getting back from the all-star game break in time due to a visa issue. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, he followed it up with m- not being in time for the team bus and missing the start uh, mm-hmm. against Orlando. I think cautiously, I don't think those issues had much to do with it because he has disappeared for maybe a fourth quarter or two earlier in the season before those other issues cropped up. So just, I guess, in a vacuum, I don't think that those issues with the visa and being late to the team bus would have influenced Coach Bud during this game. But again, I could be totally off base on this. So I just think it's something that we've seen happen before. So perhaps it isn't strictly related to these events that happened a couple weeks ago. Okay. It's interesting. You know, one of the things that uh, Brad Brad Rowland and I were talking about before the game, and yeah, you've got a you got to attend some of these games instead of Brad. You got to get, you know, you got to let you represent <laughs> Peachtree Hoops a few times here. But one of the things we were discussing before the game was how the Hawks would defend the Warriors. Like who would be guarding who uh, from the Hawks starting lineup against the Warriors starting lineup. And, right. you know, I mm-hmm. said I thought that Schroeder would guard Curry because the last two games that Schroeder had guarded Curry. I actually thought that Schroeder had probably done better on Curry than just about anybody in the league could could do with Curry. That would be the last uh, the last time the Warriors came to Atlanta, and then the game that they played earlier this season uh, out in Oakland. And those two games, uh, even though they were both Warriors wins, I thought Schroeder took took Curry out of the game. Um, and so I said, well, mm-hmm. I think Schroeder will guard Curry. And Brad was saying that he thought because Kevin Durant wasn't there anymore. The Hawks had the luxury of, you know, rejiggering who would guard who on the wing and that, that they might try Bazemore on on Curry. How how would you have approached it? You know, not not knowing how the game turned out. Right. I, I like the idea of Schroeder on Curry. I think Schroeder's physical attributes kinda of match up probably the best with what Curry does. Like Curry's very elusive, very quick, and those are things that Schroeder can match. Like Schroeder is a very athletic player, one of the youngest players on the Hawks, which I think gives a little bit of an athletic edge. So I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that is probably the best chance the Hawks would have, at least to start off the game. That's something you could obviously change if things don't go well. But sure. I like the idea of Schroeder <laughs> matching up on Curry. Okay, yeah, and things didn't go well. Right. <laughs> All right, I guess uh, I guess we need to sh- shift topics here. And let, let's look at it from Coach Budenholzer's perspective. Here's what Budenholzer had to say after the game. It's just a coach's decision. We need to learn to play together and stay together for 48 minutes. So um, I think that's you know something that's important to us. The TV cameras appeared to show him and Dwight arguing. Was that central to the issue? Um, yeah. No, I mean they're you know well you know we're we're kind of having a 
I guess I don't know whatever they're talking about, and you know they inbound the ball and hit a hit a three. Those kinds of plays are can hurt you. How did that affect the rest of your rotations going forward? Well, you know we played Malcolm a lot, played Bays at some point guard. You know I thought the group I think it was 94-90 going into the fourth quarter. You know I thought the lot of you know there was moments where you know felt like we were close and getting back in it and competing. I liked the way those guys played and the way they competed and. Um, you know, a few more plays from our guys here and there. You know, a few less, you know, made threes from an Iguodala or a McCaw. Um, but that's the game. I, I guess I just, he had 23 points. Was it, that's a bigger point to, you have to play the defense than what his scoring. Yeah, I think just us staying together is probably the bigger point. You know, we've got we've to stay together and find a way to, uh, just, you know, move on to the next play and those types of things. And, you know, those things are important. All right. So after hearing Coach Bud talk, do you think that it was just what Dwight and Dennis were doing during the dead ball, or do you think that something else had to have happened during the timeout or at some other point? It's tough because, you know, when he says that it was a coach's decision, that can mean almost anything. I've seen a few people speculate on Twitter that maybe Dennis said something on the way back to the bench, and there's no proof of that. I certainly have haven't seen anything that would prove that to me but it's just tough because a coach's decision can mean pretty much anything it can mean it was just one play it can mean other defensive lapses throughout the game it can mean that maybe something else happened it does seem odd to me that he would get benched for just one play but it's hard for me to definitively say that something else did happen right yeah it's just purely speculation i'm asking you to throw stuff against the wall i'm sorry i'm putting you in a bad (laughs) spot so all right, so as team president, you know, he, Budenholzer's in this situation where he's not just the head coach. He's also the person who is ostensibly putting the roster together. And if you look at the three key acquisitions over the summer, I shouldn't say acquisitions because some of the players were already with the team. But if you look at where the Hawks allocated their money in three places over the summer, the three places where they put their money were with Dwight, with Kent Bazemore, and with Dennis. Mm-hmm. Should the Hawks have been worried about this kind of thing when they put that type of roster together? Probably a little bit. I mean, that is something you have to at least be on the lookout for. Like Dwight Howard obviously has his reputation of leaving, I guess, almost flawed locker rooms in his wake. And I do think he's been fine in Atlanta so far. I don't think there's any evidence that the locker room is falling apart or anything like that. But I do think that there probably should have been some expectation, especially with someone like Dennis, who has a very fiery personality, and someone like Dwight Howard, who is an established personality in the league, an established veteran. So I do think, yes, there probably should have been some expectation, and maybe there was. I don't think that it seems like things are falling apart, but there definitely was always this risk, I would say. Okay, interesting. So, you know, given that what has transpired has actually gone down and happened— what does Budenholzer have to do to get everybody back together at this point? Oh, man. I think I'm actually probably more on the optimistic side here. I don't think anything has happened that looks really concerning. Like, I think there definitely is the potential for things to snowball out of control. Like, maybe if there are more arguments in the next few games or something like that, things could get a lot worse. But on the whole, I mean, it seems like the Hawks do have a pretty decent locker room person or locker room atmosphere and team 
culture. So I guess the main thing for Coach Bud to do here is just to make sure that these things don't continue, to make sure that there aren't any more arguments between Dwight and Dennis on the court that lead to wide open three-pointers from the other team. So I don't think anything looks terrible right now. I think the main thing is just to make sure that nothing gets worse going forward. So, you know, what's the ceiling for this Hawks team, and is it the roof? (laughs) I think... (laughs) I think probably the most likely outcome right now is that they finish in the fifth seed for the playoffs. I do think it's possible that they could pass Toronto and get to fourth place if Toronto falters. I think after that, the Hawks probably have a pretty decent chance of winning a first-round series. But after that, it's kind of hard to predict. If they end up with Cleveland again in the second round, that would obviously be a very difficult series to play through. I think it isn't. I think they probably have a lesser chance of getting out of the first round than they did last year. Mm-hmm. But unless they get a really bad matchup in the first round, I think they have as good a chance of anybody at getting past that. So I think it is quite possible we could see another second round playoff performance from the Hawks. And I would say that as far as the regular season goes, I would expect them to, to see them finish in either fourth or fifth place with probably fifth place being the most likely. Does that seem accurate to you? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be very hard for them at this point to get home court advantage in the first round i think this week was the week that was going to tell us what where they're going to end up and you know had the last week gone differently i would have thought that the hawks would probably get one of those top four spots but i just don't think that they're going to have enough uh enough positive momentum i'm not a big momentum person but i don't think that they're going to have enough going forward now to really get as far up in the standings as they're going to need to, 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 to get to four. But I can't, I can't see them really falling too far past five or six. So I think, I think five or six is where they end Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. All right. So the Hawks have a, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think, you know, it looks kind of bad that they've lost a few home games in a row, but I think also there's evidence to see that it isn't quite as bad as it looks like they played Golden State and Cleveland in two of the last three home games. They were one shot away from beating the Pacers. So, you know, I don't think like the wheels are falling off right now or anything. It's just this is a pretty rough stretch of the schedule, and this is kind of what goes with that sometimes. Yeah, I think a couple of positive indicators for the Hawks are, you know, how well they play against good teams. I mean, it seems like they, when they were playing the Golden States and the Clevelands, they're up, and even though they've lost a lot of those games, they're not getting blown out in those games. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those are usually competitive games. And I think another good sign for the Hawks is if <clears throat> if you look back at uh, at some of their opponents for the last few weeks, it seems like in the game after those opponents play the Hawks, they usually get, uh, they usually lose the next game. I think that's a, a good indicator that the Hawks are, uh, you know, win or lose, that those opponents are losing the next game, that the Hawks are kind of taking something out of their <laughs> legs, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting to look at. All right. So, you know, the other principle here is Dwight Howard. You know, he was involved in the discussion with Dennis, and after last night's game, this is what Dwight had to say. What happens during the course of the game uh, just costs us a three. So we got to make sure we nip it in the bud quick and move on to the next play. Dennis said he'd like to have a meeting with a coach have you involved in it? Would you be open to that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, we're a team, right? Right. 
it's, okay, it's okay if we have conversations, you know. When you have, it's not always conflict when you have a conversation with your coach or a team meeting. Sure. That's what you're supposed to do, you know. So by him wanting to have a meeting and talk, it's great. It's great for our team. It's great for each other. And, you know, we're all open to it, you know. Uh, it's always not uh, when you have a conversation. It's, it's bad. You know, it's, it's, it's great. Right? So we have no issue. Uh, we just have to move forward when we have plays like that. And, you know, I know it's highlighted, uh, but, you know, we just have to move forward from it. It's okay. I mean, we make mistakes. We're human. Uh, this uh, didn't happen, but it did, you know. And uh, hopefully that everybody will just let it go and we move on. Let me just ask you the bigger picture, though, because obviously Bud made the decision that the lesson was bigger than, you know, Dennis. Um, is that a good thing? I'm not the coach. Job is to play, rebound, right. block shots, and run the floor. So that's what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna let Coach do his job and coach the team. So if he decides to sit any of us, you know that's on Coach. But that's why we have a team. You know, it's, it's not one player on the team. It's 15 of us. And, you know, we have to trust each other. When one man goes down, the other man has to step up. You know, it's just like if somebody gets in foul trouble. If I get in foul trouble, I gotta trust the next guy to come in. You know, if Dennis gets in foul trouble, it's the same thing. You know, so that's how it has to be. Fair enough. All right. Thanks, Dwight. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Thomas. So is Dwight, being the older player here in this situation, is he supposed to know better? Yeah, I think so. I think it's tough to say that this play was entirely Dennis's fault. I mean, these are two players that you obviously want to be keyed in on every possession and every play. And really an argument between two players makes both of them look bad rather than any one of them. Of course, Dennis is the player who was responsible for giving up the wide open shot, but I do think it's fair to blame both of them pretty equally for this one. Can Dwight Howard work in this modern era of basketball? Is it is it hard to play with Dwight? I think he's done a pretty decent job in Atlanta so far. I mean, when the Hawks signed him this summer, I think the expectation is that he would be a good defender a very good rebounder and then everything else would kind of fall into place after that and i think that's largely been what he gave what he's given atlanta so far he's rebounded very well the Hawks have been a much better rebounding team this year and they're still one of the best defenses in the league even though they've slipped a little bit from last year so i do think he can play in this league although i do think there are some limitations to his game as well i get a little bit worried about uh the pick and roll defense that the Hawks play and actually kind of not just in one look but in a couple of looks Um, and to give you a couple of situations from last night you know there were lots of times when the Hawks were blitzing the ball so when they were defending the pick and roll the Hawks would send both players to the pick and roll ball handler and when that happens it's very important that you have tight rotations behind that play because you're basically trying to guard four players with three and once the ball starts moving around it's a constant game of shift and catch up shift and catch up well at one point when the Hawks did this Steph Curry was by himself in the three-point corner you know in the corner of the court and it was Dwight's job to get out there and you know Mm -hmm. he made an effort to do it it wasn't particularly effective I don't think he got that close um, but that that seems like a situation that doesn't suit him very well. And yet at the same time, there was another situation in back-to-back possessions, if I'm not mistaken, where 
and this is after Dennis left the game, again, if I'm not mistaken. So it was Bazemore and Howard were trying to defend a Zaza-Steph Curry pick-and-roll. And so Zaza mm-hmm. is standing you know, dead straight away from the basket about 25 feet from the hoop. And Curry's using him as a pick. And Dwight is, you know, as far back as like the free throw line. So he's at least 10 feet or more from the play. And so Steph Curry Mm -hmm. was basically just running Kent Bazemore into Zaza's pick. And even though Zaza really wasn't a threat to roll or do anything else, you know, 25 feet from the basket, the play was still terribly effective because with Kent stuck on Zaza's screen, it was just Steph against no one taking a 25-26 footer. And that seems like a situation mm-hmm. where Dwight's completely out of place. Right. Yeah. And the, the, it's tough because on one end, on one hand, Dwight is a decent matchup against the Warriors in terms of like rebounding because that's something that they don't always do pretty well. But on the defensive end, I think is where you see a lot of his limitations come in. Dwight can be a very good defender, but he's not really someone that can come out from the basket much. So against a lot of these smaller, faster teams, I think is where you really do see a lot of those limitations come out. Yeah, it's that distinction between defending and defending in space. You know, it's one thing for right. for Dwight to defend in the paint, which he is terrific at. And so, if if there's any situation where he has to defend in the paint, he's in a good spot. But once teams draw him out and take him out of his comfort zone and make him defend in space, it's a lot it's a lot different for him, I think. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I mean, he's so good at a lot of things, but he really struggles in other areas that. Teams like the Warriors are really good at exploiting. What what I'm kind of throwing impromptu questions at you now, but what do the Hawks have to do to make it work with Dwight offensively, especially in the lineups that have, let's say, you know, Bazemore, Cephalosha, and Howard together? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think using the pick and roll offense as much as possible will be key. The the Dwight Howard post-up possessions normally don't go very well. I think that's one of the Hawks' least efficient options. So I think using the pick and roll as much as possible would be one of the better options that they can do. Unfortunately, I, I think the best way to use Dwight would be to surround him with more shooting, which isn't something that this Hawks team has been great at so far. But I think probably the best answer would be to go to the pick and roll as much as possible and try to work through that. Interesting. All right. I want to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs, too. They'll even give you a quote where they'll credit you money towards the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them that ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgages, rates, integrity, service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. Okay, so the Hawks had their brouhaha last night, and there were essentially three principles involved. You know, you've got Howard and Schroeder, uh, you know, gesturing hands at each other on the dead ball. And then you've got Budenholzer making the decision not to play Schroeder. But I think, you know, as important as those three are, I think it's really interesting to look at this through 
the lens of Paul Millsap and what is he thinking about all of this. So here's what Millsap had to say last night. tight locker room, man. Um, some things happen. Um, some things are done. And, um, you take it for what it is and you move on. Um, it's all part of the NBA, man. It's all a part of life. So um, whatever they decide or whatever that, that happened, um, hopefully we move on from it. So I got one. Well, we need a senior leader to yeah. the voice of a senior leader. How's that? <laughs> okay, so Millsap was playing coy a little bit there when he was asked about what he thought of uh, Schroeder not playing most of the second half. He, you know, he pretended like he wasn't sure what happened. Um, if you're Paul Millsap, does what's going on here impact in any way how your decision might go this summer? That's a really good question, and I think something that's definitely really important to think about. Millsap's free agency is obviously going to be one of the biggest stories after this season ends, and for good reason. And it is it is always so tough to figure out what he's thinking, though. He's such a professional player with such a professional personality that really he's always going to kind of guard his true answers toward things like this. And I could see it going either way. Like, I could see Millsap thinking that this locker room may not be something he wants to be a part of in the future. I could also so see him not really caring as much. And I think a lot of that just goes into the interpersonal dynamics between these players that are often really hard to gauge from the outside. And I know that's probably not a very helpful answer since I <laughs> essentially said I don't know. But I think with Millsap, he's someone who is just such a professional character that it's almost difficult to gauge because you just get the sense that he's going to guard his answers and not really tell you what he thinks until maybe afterwards. Yeah. And I, I get the sense that he's dying inside laughing when he does it half the time. You know, he'll give us the cliche, but <laughs> right. he's, he's got these eyes that are just sparkling and he's looking at us like, yeah, you're not going to get how I really feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, would, oh, I would definitely believe that. He's something else. So I, I want to ask you about sort of both sides of the coin here. How important is postseason success this year to getting Millsap back, both from Millsap's perspective and from the team's perspective. So, you know, how important is getting, let's say, a, a series win to Millsap, and how important is getting a series win to the team, to him wanting to come back and to the team wanting him to come back? That's another good question. I think <laughs> a series win would be great. I It's tough for me to gauge how much, I guess, that matters to Paul, but... I think if the Hawks are able to get another series one, then they'll essentially be able to finish in the same place that they did last year, which I think would be pretty impressive given that they did lose Al Horford this year in free agency to kind of recover from that and end up in essentially the same place would be a really great victory. And I think that is probably the best case scenario for the Hawks. It's it's possible that they could maybe get to the Eastern Conference Finals if everything broke right in terms of seeding. But in terms of, I guess, 
gauging what the talent of this team is, I think getting to the second round of the playoffs would be a very great finish for the team, given how this year has gone so far. I think that would probably help the team a lot with keeping Millsap. But again, it's some players, I think, care about postseason success a lot more than other players. And it's difficult for me to say how much that matters to Paul. And how much do you think it matters to the team? If if they lose in the first round, do they want to give Millsap, you know, as much as he might be asking for? Yeah, I think it does matter to the team. I think getting to the second round would show that maybe this the ceiling is a little higher than some people think. But I think if you lose Millsap for nothing, then that's going to be really damaging no matter where you finish in the playoffs. Okay. Well, how about a lighter topic? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I'm sorry to have you on when everything's uh, everything's turning to dust in the Hawks uh, in the Hawks <laughs> universe here. What do you think of the Ursan Ilyasova acquisition, and uh, how have you uh, how have you felt about how his performance has been so far? I think I've steadily gotten more optimistic about it as time passed. I saw the trade, you know, around the trade deadline. And I remember thinking that was just kind of an odd trade to be making, but it does really feel, fill a position of need. The Hawks didn't have to give up too much to get him. They kept, they held on to their most valuable draft assets, even with this trade, which I think is huge. And Ilya Sova is a good player who adds a lot to the team. Like his three point shooting is something the Hawks really need. The, a true backup power forward is also something they've really been needing so far this season. So is it's not a huge deal by any means, but the more time passes and the more I see him play with the team, the more the better I feel about it. And what do you think of how the rotation has shortened? It seems like over the last couple of weeks since Ilyasova arrived, it's gone from ten to nine. So at the time of the trade, mm-hmm. uh, you know the Hawks were using two backup bigs. They were using. Chris Humphreys and Mike Muscala and since Ilyasova arrived it's pretty much just Ben Ilyasova without any Muscala or Humphreys mm-hmm. do you think that's a, a good a good decision do you think it should still be 10 or do you do you like the move to 9 that's tough I really do like seeing Mike Muscala play so I think maybe for the regular season 10 would be better I think Going to nine kind of helps you get ready for the playoff rotations, especially since that's coming up pretty soon. You want to figure out who you want to rely more on during these playoff games. But it is also interesting to see Millsap and Ilyasova play together a little bit. So I, I would like to see more Mike Muscala, though. I think he's had a great season so far. Do you think we will see more Muscala, or do you think this is pretty much how Bud wants to roll straight through the playoffs? Oh, man, that's a that's a difficult one. I think we would see more Muscala. I think just how well he's played this year has been really invaluable to the Hawks. But again, I it's often difficult for me to predict who will be playing and who won't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's funny how you know Budenholzer, you know, <laughs> most of the, the the last couple of days events aside, Budenholzer for the most part, when he makes a a lineup decision, it's usually something that he'll go with for two weeks or three weeks. You know, he kind of things happen in phases and so if you chop the season up into like three week increments you can kind of say okay this is what he was doing here and then this is what he was doing here and he kind of stays with it for a little bit he doesn't like to change it on a game-to-game basis and I kind of feel mm-hmm. like you know we might just be in that that phase where it's sort of get Elias over as many minutes as possible get him in you know indoctrinated as soon as you can with as many minutes as possible and then maybe he'll open it back up and put Muscala in. But he also said that 
you know, one of the things he said is that they're they're using more small lineups and not just small like Elias over Millsap, but Millsap with a wing at power forward type lineups. Mm-hmm. So that that and those are interesting to watch. I like to see players. I like to see coaches experiment with different combinations like that. But you're right; it is kind of interesting. And what do you think about uh, Calderon? Is is that a good acquisition? And do you think there is any chance that he ends up being the backup point guard? It's interesting. It's kind of like I guess a, a low risk move, bringing another veteran to try to add more depth. to the bench. I would be surprised if he sees a lot more playing time, especially with Malcolm Delaney. I think Delaney's still very clearly the backup point guard right now, but I think Calderon does add valuable veteran experience, valuable uh, bench play, someone you can just hopefully slot in and there won't be any big issues with. But I, I liked the move. I thought it was fine. It's not anything that's going to make a huge difference, but I would say Delaney's probably still the number two point guard right now. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you. I think it... Uh... You know, I think Calderon is a nice insurance policy in, in case anything should happen to one of their two point guards. I know that they've, you know, done a lot with the zero point guard lineups and Baysmore and Hardaway handling the ball and things like that. But, uh, you know, I think if, if something should happen to Shrewdry, you know, you have to have another point guard on the roster. And I think Calderon fits that bill kind of nicely. I agree. I, I would much rather see a point guard in there than the no point guard lineup. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you got anything you want to plug? Uh, just everything at Peachtree Hoops. I write there pretty pretty regularly. Uh, I know uh, all the other writers there do a great job as well, but that's kind of my main outlet for just blogging and writing on the internet, so I definitely would plug their work. Excellent. All right. And, and, and give us your Twitter handle so that uh, people can follow you on Twitter. Absolutely. So I am uh, at T Jenkins one two two on Twitter. Excellent. Well, uh, we will have to have you on again sometime soon when the Hawks have like a five game winning streak going, and you can be <laughs> Mister uh, Mister Sunshine and Positivity. I know I put you in a spot here <laughs> today, bringing you on for this one. Uh, that sounds good, and I, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic right now. I don't think the wheels are falling off, but you're right; it is definitely not the most uplifting time for the Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our sponsor, Poli Mortgage. Poli Mortgage. Great integrity service.